Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Lily Cantor and I'm Emma Wilkinson. This series is a little bit different because we're going to be speaking to the winners of our Freelance Journalism Awards. Yes, we're really excited to chat to them in more detail about how they got into freelance journalism, their career so far, and of course, their award-winning entry. Yes, definitely. But before we introduce our guests for this week, we're going to do our freelance highlight of the week. So Emma, what's yours this week? Well, it's not a fancy one. It's quite basic, but I chased an invoice and then it appeared in my bank account the next day. So it was just Woo. like, woohoo. Yeah, actually um, getting paid for work, work that I've done. I don't know if that was something that was already in process anyway, but it just felt quite satisfying to for that chasing to be successful. What's yours, Lily? Um, mine is I finally, um, well, I say finally, it didn't take me very long, but I've got a new website. Um, I discovered a few weeks ago that my website had disappeared. Um, I had done something <laughs> on the hosting side of it, um, cancelled something or other, and it disappeared. I actually managed to do the same thing to my husband's website as well. So I clearly don't know what I'm doing. Um, so I've made it really simple, moved it onto Squarespace so that they can take care of everything and I don't have to worry about that side of things. Um, and I've redesigned it and it's now much more aligned with my social media and my focus on running and fitness. So um, I feel it's just kind of tied it all together quite nicely. And I was just pleased it didn't take me very long and I think it looks quite good. So that was a nice little thing to tick off the list. Yeah, because actually your freelance career, freelance and what you do, has changed quite a lot since you had your previous website kind of designed. So. Yeah, so I had it designed by a web developer. And at the time, um, I was doing lots of different things, but focusing more on personal finance and perhaps more on the academic stuff I was doing. And I needed to kind of change that up because that stuff had very much gone towards the kind of back the back burner of what I do so I wanted the running journalism and the coaching to be at the forefront um, and also have the ability to be able to change it because I will probably have a new specialism in a year or two because I tend to change things up all the time so it's good that I can now have control of it and and do that as and when I need to. Yeah absolutely and it's one of those good jobs to get ticked off the list because it kind of falls down to the bottom when you're trying to meet deadlines and things so well done for that okay it's time to introduce our guest today we have with us lara orshovska who won our best piece of work by a student or early career journalist category uh, this was sponsored by The Media Mentor, and it was to celebrate those who were just starting out in their freelance careers. Lara won for her piece for Prospect magazine on how Ukrainian teachers were keeping schools running during the war. Our judges said this was brilliant, well-written and moving article. Uh, Lara took the leap into journalism last year and has already had bylines in The Guardian, uh, Telegraph, Independent, Business Insider and more. Congratulations on the win, Lara. Lovely to have you here. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. So we've got loads of questions um, about how this article came about. But first of all, we want to find a bit more out about you. So can you tell us a bit more about yourself and your path into journalism? 
Um, yes, I would say it's been very convoluted. Um, it's been not like a obvious path into journalism. I think there isn't really one particular path for everyone, but there are definitely like some well-trodden routes that I've identified by kind of like fumbling my way through, I guess. Um, but I only really realized I wanted to be a journalist after I'd completed a master's at UCL. I'd studied Russian language and post-Soviet politics. And basically, whilst I was doing that, I started a podcast, which was all about Russian culture and I was interviewing guests. So I have to say right now, this is quite weird because I'm quite used to being interviewer, not interviewee. And obviously in my job now, I'm always interviewer. So it's like, yeah, it's funny being on the spot now. But um, yeah, so I kind of did that podcast and I think it, was something I really enjoyed and I joined a news discussion group as well I really enjoyed that I started writing a few articles for a student magazine did some like more academic stuff for a journal um, and then when I left I kind of knew that's what I wanted and that's what I was passionate about was writing and I also did a travel blog like before that for my undergrad so there was all this stuff that was kind of coming together and I was like oh I do want to be a journalist but I was kind of terrified of the idea because I had no real contacts in the industry um, you know didn't know anyone meaningful really um and actually with my languages I thought well what I'm going to do is move abroad and maybe do a job like a teaching role and then maybe try and like see what the journalism scene is there or like do some articles for like cultural magazines stuff like that um so yeah I mean what ended up happening was the master's was finished by the end of 2021 so coming out of lockdown I was looking for nanny roles in Moscow so that I could move to Moscow and then try and break into journalism like that. That whole thing got discarded after the war broke out. I got a nanny job in London instead, which I quit before the war broke out in February. And then it broke out and I was like, oh God. And I'd actually applied, God, it's also convoluted, but I'd applied for a fellowship in Moscow to start in September, 2022. And I had my final interview scheduled for March 2022, but obviously February 2022 is when the war broke out. So suddenly I was like, right, I've just quit this nanny job in London that was for a Russian family. I've now not got the fellowship on the horizon. I have no contacts in the industry in London. I have no qualifications that are like journalist related. So I've kind of got to just take a leap here now because I've, I've I don't want to be a nanny anymore. So I sent my first ever pitches. I Googled how to how to send how to write a pitch. So Google gave me my first start. Thank you, Google. Um, sent an idea to The Guardian, sent an idea to The Independent, and they both got commissioned within a week. And obviously I was in shock because I just did not imagine that any national would want to commission me and I'd be starting some in some random publications first. Um, but I think that taught me a little bit of like have some faith in your ideas. If your ideas are good. You don't have to be an established journalist, especially in freelancing. Obviously, it's slightly different if you want to go and write hard news. Like training is important for that. I couldn't, I couldn't go in, walk into a newsroom and turn around hard news from looking at Google. Like yeah, that's where the NCTJ comes in. But I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit. But with an with an idea, with something you're passionate about, like a feature, a feature or a culture piece or an opinion piece, that doesn't necessarily require more than more than a Google apparently. So that kind of gave me the 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 sort of the boost I needed um, to then think, okay, I'm going to make a go of this. Towards the end of the summer last year, um, when I was doing this broadcast assistant role at Wimbledon, actually a year ago, um, I 
was speaking to editors at the Standard and a, a, a smaller publication called London World. Well, I suppose not smaller, but just I hadn't heard of them. So maybe they're not smaller. They're, they're, they're part of National World. So they have publications in Liverpool, um, Bristol, Manchester, whatever. They're all online. There's no print version. But I spoke to the editor there um, on the news desk and I spoke to the editor of, a, of the diary desk at the Standard and both of them said, do you have an NCTJ? And I was like, oh, like I don't, I don't have an NCTJ. Is that really going to be a barrier for me? Do I really need it? Because I've had these commissions. Because since The Guardian and The Independent, I've been commissioned by some other places. And so I was building my confidence with it and thinking, okay, like I just need someone to sort of hire me now. But that leap is actually quite big if you don't have training and you don't want to just do magazine or you don't want to just do features. And I'm also finding staff writer roles for like fun things like cultures, culture writing and features are quite thin on the ground. So I think it was good advice that they told me to basically go and get an NCTJ, even though it's been a lot to juggle um, over the last sort of since October to now. But yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting because one of the things we get asked so often is, do I need a qualification? What kind of qualification should I get? What kind of course should I do? Do I need to go do a degree? All that kind of thing. And we quite often will say to people kind of, it depends on your circumstances. It depends on kind of what you've done already, et cetera. But have you looked at news associates courses and whether they would suit your needs? So can you tell us, um, so you did that course part-time, right? Can you tell us about that and um, kind of the training that you got and and what that's meant for you now? Um, yeah, so I basically was at, back in, I think it was August when applications, when I was doing applications, I actually was at a bit of a crossroads with it. Um, I wasn't really sure what to choose. I wasn't really sure whether it would make sense for me to do the full-time News Associates course and just like pack it in because I was getting opportunities and I was like also I'd just finished full-time education I'd kind of found like journalism's the thing I want to throw myself into so the idea of then going back into full-time study and feeling like I'd have to say no to opportunities really was like almost filling me with a bit of dread um and so I spoke to the news associates tutors at length about it after I'd applied and they'd offered me a place and it was kind of like are you going to do the full-time you're going to do the part-time um and ultimately at that point I just thought part-time is going to suit me better because that's Wednesday evenings and Saturdays. And so then I can continue doing work for the evening standard when they ask me to, and I can take on other shift work. I can write commissions and spend time on pitches and stuff like that. And I had also been offered a place on the city masters, which I think is another big one to mention because it's a really good qualification. It connects you with so many industry people but it was 10 grand and it was full time. And I was just like, I can't, I can't do that to myself. I'm in enough mm. student debt from my undergrad. Like I just, yeah, it, it was not something that I wanted to do, even though I know that the city masters is like probably going to be like looking back on what, what I've had from news associates and looking at what city masters gets, like the facilities at city masters is, is like so good. Cause they have a lot of, opportunity for you to like simulate what it would be like to be in a broadcast environment and I didn't get any real broadcast training from news associates and anything I wanted to do because it's such a print focused qualification mm. anything I want to do towards the sort of broadcast radio that sort of side you kind of do off your own back so I was volunteering at Hoxton radio for the past few months I've had to slow that down a little bit just because I've had like other commitments and exams and that's volunteering so it's like if I'm going to give my time 
I've got to do it on my terms because, you know, time is money essentially in freelancing land. Um, but yeah, I think had I known what I know now, but you can only make the best decisions in the, with what the information you have in front of you. But had I known that there was going to be a massive war between Russia and Ukraine, would I have studied Russian at master's level? Like, I don't know, maybe I would have done the city masters instead and not done mm. a master's and then found I needed a journalism qualification. But I kind of didn't know I wanted to be a journalist until I was like, I want to tell stories from abroad. I mean, now I'm telling stories in London at the Evening Standard. So that's very, that's a regional paper, even though there is a national outlook. Um, but yeah, I think the News Associates course does equip you well if you want to go into like news. And I think it equips you well for especially like local papers to then climb the ladder to like national papers. But um I don't That's know. Really I don't know what, where, yeah. Because that doesn't happen very much anymore. And it's it's interesting because it's still kind of built on that model. Yeah. But there are so few jobs in local newspapers and people are coming, I think now coming into journalism at so many different levels um and not necessarily mainstream media. Um there's so many different um, online publications out there that you know are taking on trainees as well so it's yeah it's interesting that some of these courses perhaps are still more traditional but I wonder if we can kind of bring it round now to um, the article that you you won the award for um, can you tell us a bit more about where you got the idea from and and kind of how you put that all together because I believe you did your own translation is that right yeah so with this article what happened it was kind of a bit serendipitous in a way um basically I had I don't know so I I had basically been put in touch with this woman called Anna Sidoric who is like the main source she was like my starting point for the piece but it wasn't meant to be about education it wasn't meant to be about teachers it wasn't meant to be about like the school system the story that I was put in touch with her for was because she had a contact who had survived Mariupol. And so I was emailing her and having a call with her, had a call with her. And she basically said that this, this woman, Victoria, who was like dealing with the trauma of surviving that whole ordeal was unable to, it was like the, the, the psychi the psychologist who was like working with her was just like, she's not ready to speak to press. She'd already written a first person account that had been in Ukrainian media um but yeah so that that story kind of was a non-starter but whilst I'd been interacting with Anna who spoke really good English she told me that she said she's also working for this charity um this NGO called Ospitoria and Ospitoria had basically set up a platform for um online learning when COVID hit but then when the war started that also meant loads of students were unable to go into school because of safety issues um and so the need for the platform and like honing this platform continued and it turned out that her charity had worked with a school that I had been a teacher at when I lived in Kiev because I lived in Kiev in 2019 for three months as a private tutor to a family went to the the school down the road from the apartment I was in and said I'm, I'm English I'm a native English speaker you know can I teach in your school? And they were kind of, they bit my arm off. They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a native English speaker and you're in Ukraine for some reason. Come and teach our kids, please. Um, and so the headmistress, Tamara, became another source. And basically 
the the sources apart from Anna, they all didn't have English to a high enough standard. And so I, I don't have speak Ukrainian. Um, I can understand the gist of some stuff because I speak Russian, having studied it for undergrad, postgrad, and then, you know, maintained it. Um, so yeah, Tamara became a source. Then Anna put me in touch with teachers that work with Ospitoria, the, the NGO, and said, you know, this teacher's at the front line, this teacher's working for territorial defence, this teacher has fled Kharkiv because his son was kidnapped by the Russian army when they found out that he refused to teach a Russian-enforced curriculum because he wanted to continue with the Ukrainian curriculum. So there were all these amazing teachers and all these amazing stories. Just Anna was just sort of feeding me these sources. And I was like, oh my God, there's a massive thing to piece together here about. And, and it was in the end of August that I spoke to her. And so I was like, back to school's about to happen. Then the queen died. So everyone in the media was like, we're not interested in this amazing Ukraine story because the queen's just died. And that's obviously going to dominate our coverage for the next however many weeks. Um, so the story was ultimately published in October, but I had been kind of working on it since August when I was listening to these interviews or listening to conducting the interviews. It was all over Zoom. And, you know, sometimes there were some challenges like they were outside or one one source had quite a big like lisp, I want to say, or like it was some sort of speech affectation that meant it was even harder to understand his Russian. And because he was used to speaking Ukrainian, I think his Russian was also just like, I mean, I'm maybe I'm being a purist, but the maybe his like Russian grammar to me was just a bit like all over the place. So I was getting a bit lost, but still had usable quotes from it. And so when I listened back to all these interviews, I didn't have time to literally go and write out the Russian and then do a translation. I was simultaneously just listening and then typing the English onto my laptop for it, um, which hopefully was accurate enough. I think it worked out. I was very, I was painstakingly going through these. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to misrepresent or mistranslate anything. So I think I almost listened 10 times harder to these interviews than I would to an, to just an English interview because you almost, it's your mother tongue, you're just kind of like going along with it. Um, but yeah, that was kind of how it all happened. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a good example of why you have to be flexible and always just have your kind of story senses turned to on. <laughs> Because it will be in those conversations where you think, oh, actually, you know, that's a good piece, kind of, that's a really good idea. Did you pitch it to Prospect? Kind of, how did that pitching process happen? Did they, were they at kind of the top of your list? Where did you decide, where did you decide to kind of place that? Um, so I think the reason I ended up pitching it to Prospect is I was doing a two-week unpaid internship with them. And at the end of the second week, I, I thought my goal with this, because I haven't been paid, is to get a commission. And yeah, so essentially I emailed the editor and I said, this is the story I've been put in touch with this woman. Like it's, you know, I've got a number of sources and I can translate and da 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 da. And um, so I sent a full, like, even though I'd been working there for two weeks, it wasn't even like I had a verbal casual chat. It was like I put it in a formal email because I wanted it to be taken seriously and I wanted it to be commissioned. Th these stories are quite important and and people's lives, you know, I, I hope they're all still alive and they're all still well, but you just don't know. So maybe there's a development that I should be exploring um, for that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, definitely sounds like there'd be some interesting follow-ups you could get out of that. 
I mean, obviously, the fact that you had these connections there already, um, you know, you you lived and worked there, and also that you speak Russian, obviously, huge advantages for you. But I just wondered, kind of, if you had any advice for other kind of journalists or aspiring journalists getting into freelancing who perhaps don't have that level of access or extra kind of skill kind of what would your advice be to them about kind of you know getting that those first sort of freelance gigs um I would say so as much as having uh speaking other languages is kind of like my niche I I use that term a little bit sent like sort of carefully because I don't want to box myself in and be like well I'm only going to write about issues related to Russia and Ukraine because that's not the case and that has definitely not turned my portfolio has not turned out like that at all it's like very broad ranging um but I guess having the like sometimes having an edge it doesn't necessarily have to be different languages but you know not everyone can like learn languages but they might have you know there's there's definitely a huge I think I often see calls for pitches for, for writers who can write about climate change and sustainability. That's never been my beat and that's never been something I'm, I can say I'm an authoritative voice on. But if you find that there's a topic you have an authoritative voice on that you can say to an editor in an email, this is why I'm the person to write this article and not the next person. Obviously, it is competitive out there and then you're, you know, sometimes you're not the only person that can write the article. But I think when I give advice to people about how to to land their first commissions, they need to hit points of persuasion in their email. So like one being why, why you, another hugely important one being why now. Don't pitch something without looking at the publication before. Um, it's, you know, it, it sounds obvious, but maybe you just think, oh, I'll just send this to as many people as I can find who might maybe be interested. That's not kind of the way to go about it. You need to tailor it. Can you see yourself kind of sticking with freelancing? Do you like the variety of it? Um, I love the variety of it. I really do. Um, I think sticking with freelancing, I think I'm here freelancing not by design, but out of circumstance because um, doing a starting a part-time course just meant, right, well, I'm going to be doing part-time work and freelance work alongside a part-time course. Now that the end is in sight, I have my last exam on the 14th. You know, when I get that done, the top of my list is like, okay, spreadsheets, like finances, really organizing and like mapping out a path for myself, which even the best laid plans, you know, they, they might go awry and that's kind of something to adapt to. And that's what I've had to do in the past. And I'm sure we'll do, we'll do again. But I think once the studying's out of the way, it's like full-time job has to be the aim because I don't in all honesty think I'm earning enough from this and I'm living with my parents because <laughs> we're in a cost of living crisis is the fastest route that I don't move out in London is the fastest route that I move out abroad like I don't know yeah it's hard and it's hard if you're in London in particular I mean neither Emma or I have freelanced whilst living in London um but you know that is a whole different ball game um and, you know, you're young, you've got plenty of time to kind of figure it out and try different things, you know, have a staff job for a while, see if that works. And if it doesn't, you can always fall back on freelancing or like you say, freelance for a bit more and and see how it goes. So it fits quite nicely with our newsletter this week, which is all about letting your freelance garden grow and all the different uh, ways 
in which that can um, flourish in some areas and, and not in others. Um, but it's it's really interesting to hear you kind of grappling with all those different things that I think a lot of people go through, particularly when they're they're starting out. Um, I think the kind of last thing I guess would be interesting for us to know, sort of off the back of um, the story that you you won the award for. Obviously, you've talked about potential for follow ups, but have you been doing more reporting on the Ukraine, or have you? very much been focusing on sort of lots of different areas I think yeah I haven't so since that article came out I did a couple more stories that were kind of in that vein um I did a piece I actually submitted an article to um the Cassandra Jardine Memorial Prize which is run by the Telegraph and it is for women who want to get into it's like for women who want to write features profiles that sort of thing and it's but you can only you're it's only, it's only for women aged 18 to 25 so it was the last year that I could actually enter it and sadly I didn't win um but I entered with a piece about my Russian teacher um who taught me Russian whilst I was living in Kiev um where I was when I was working at that school um and working as a as a teacher out there and so I had two lessons a week with her whatever and She's actually from Kazakhstan and she moved to Kyiv, I think, maybe like 10 or 15 years ago now. Um, and we just had a really good relationship and I wanted to interview her about the redund redundancy of her job, basically, because learning Russian is not really in vogue in Ukraine at the moment for obvious reasons. And it's been taken off the national curriculum in Ukraine. Um, I think actually when I was living there, it was still not a compulsory part of the curriculum but it was like an optional lesson that you could you could choose to have um so it's basically kind of been for political reasons like pushed out of the, the school curriculum and out of a school timetable and so you can only get it as an after school club which is even less than it was when I was there um and so her struggle was being able to teach Russian in Ukraine is not a thing being able to teach Russian to foreigners she needs a better level of English she her but being being Kazakh and growing up in the Soviet Union she spoke Russian and Kazakh she didn't speak Ukrainian so she's facing all these challenges and I just was interested in her story and so I submitted that to the prize it was it didn't win but then I sold it to iNews and so that's kind of the next bit of Ukraine a Ukrainian story that I'd done after my award-winning can say award-winning now my award-winning article um but so I did that bit about Oksana she's called um and then I did a piece again kind of adjacent to my interest in like Soviet post-Soviet culture identity where uh someone I know who's an art curator slash works for like I want to say cultural institutions I don't know if art curation is her main thing but she was curating a photography exhibition of a Soviet Uzbek theatre icon which is just right up my street but sounds pretty random to most people and so I so I messaged her I just said what's this exhibition about like, can I write an article about it maybe and so then I ended up speaking to the the granddaughter of this theatre icon who was like a really big deal in the Soviet Union but then also became like the ambassador for, for Soviet culture and came to the UK in the 60s to celebrate Shakespeare's something birthday 100 and something I don't know however many hundred birthdays um and so that was kind of adjacent and we kind of I think with the with the help of the editor we kind of tried to 
uh, point out the relevance of this story in the context of the Ukraine war and about identity and suppression and erasure and stuff like that. Um, so I was really happy with that piece coming out because it is quite an un, a sort of sounds very niche, but we made it relevant. And then I would say after that, I've done far less about Ukraine because I've been in London working at the Standard and it's become very focused on like London stories. But I think that's why I'm keen to work for a national as well, because that might give me the chance to do a bit more international reporting and not have such a uh, a focus like a a focused beat as it were because it's mostly the stuff I do for the for the diary is going out to events chatting to politicians and celebs trying to get them to say something interesting that we can print the next day and that's yeah that's what I should be doing after this call actually yeah um yeah yeah I mean I think you know it kind of shows that you know for our listeners who are thinking about getting into journalism or want kind of advice that those other pieces that you've done just show the value of good contacts um and just reaching out to people and asking and keeping those contacts and and how that kind of leads leads to stories leads to work so I think that's you know really good examples of that uh okay so we need to round up we are going to ask all our awards winners the same three questions which are your favorite thing about freelancing the most frustrating thing about freelancing and your top freelancing tip so yeah off you go I think the best things for me about freelancing have turned out to be the freedom of choice and variety um which we spoke a little bit about but it's just that versatility adapting to loads of wearing different hats I really enjoy doing that it's not for everyone but I really really enjoy it um you know, having not knowing what the week's going to look like and knowing and knowing that it's not going to be nine to five at a desk doing the same thing every day. So I just don't think that suits me. Um, and flexibility with it. I think, you know, flexibility is a, a huge plus, but I suppose that involves you having to be flexible as well. Like you sometimes have to say so that we're going to talk about that in the, the frustrating things. Um, a small big plus about freelance a small big plus did I just say small big okay meant to be a writer who knows how to use words um but this isn't the main reason I enjoy freelancing but it's it's a perk of the job is you have access to so many things like as a journalist showing your press pass and getting into things that you might never ever go to or see or do and getting a story from there and sometimes freebies as well sometimes PRs send you nice stuff sometimes you get invitations to cool things but yeah, that's like a small perk. I think the big one for me is freedom of choice, variety. And I forgot to mention the, the big, big one is like doing something I care about and I'm passionate about. I'm a very passionate person. I like following things that like excite me. I don't think I could sit in something mundane knowing that I'm going to get a good yearly salary. I think I want to have a bit of drama and a bit of excitement <laughs> and something to yeah ignite that passion. Um, frustrating. Okay, what's frustrating? I feel like there's a lot of things that are frustrating, but they don't outweigh what I love about the career for the time being. Um, I think feeling time poor and maybe just generally economically poor, but no, I think being time poor and having to say yes and no to stuff um, and, and working out how to negotiate and prioritize and sometimes having to just like bend over backwards for job opportunities and like bailing on your friends for stuff or, you know, those things happen at the start and it, it all I would like to think will work out and it will be 
the you know the right decision to just prioritize my career for now that's kind of what I'm doing um I think yeah the we've sort of spoken about payment a little bit but I feel like that not being paid on time and not being paid at all sometimes or being paid like a laughably small amount and just thinking how did I spend four hours of my evening at an event and I'm getting 30 quid for it like the, the staff serving me drinks got more money than I did but you know that that's just I think not going to open that can of worms too much yeah I mean I would think on I would imagine that most freelancers they would be something about pay whether that's amount of pay you get or speed of payment and having to chase invoices and things that would be on their list of frustrations I think that's absolutely fair enough um yeah and I think that moving on to your tip I think there's lots of freelancers who are kind of or listeners who would want to really get into journalism or freelancing who would you know you've you've made it look quite easy so <laughs> what's your top freelancing tip I can't believe that I made it look easy but that's great if I have um but the top tip I think we've said the word hustle a few times but that is kind of how I'm getting work and I'm making opportunities for myself so instead of just getting an internship let's say at Prospect and thinking yeah that's good got an internship what can I do with that like can I get a commission off the back of that I'm always thinking I'm always thinking like what you know, if I've got this access, if, I, if I'm if i in this place, if I'm with this person, if I'm meeting whoever, you know, without sounding like I'm just trying to get stuff off people, but like, what can they, how can they help my career? And a, a big one with working on the diary is I get sent to events a lot. And so whenever I'm at an event, I'm always ears open for not only a story for the page the next day, but ears open for like maybe something that could be a longer term story, like a feature, or someone tells me something that sparks some inspiration in me or getting an email from someone who works somewhere like finding out what other journalists are in the room and what they're doing like I've met quite a few journalists covering the same things that I'm covering who are ultimately my competitors but also have advice for me um and I think yeah I think I'm trying oh so yeah when I went to an event for the standard I was sort of realizing I'm doing a lot of these interviews with like celebrities and politicians and I'm just getting the audio but can I make something video can I make video out of this and can that like give me something for my portfolio to show I can tell a story with a video and stuff so I've now got into TikTok that's something I never thought I'd do I avoided TikTok like the plague during the pandemic and was very high and mighty about it with everyone and now I'm like using it to tell stories I'm trying to record footage to then make little roundups of like places I've been to just like raise my profile and 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 you know there's places I want to work that maybe want someone with presenting skills editing skills I don't know and I feel like as a freelancer you do have to uh, be skilled in a lot of areas and show that you can adapt to a lot of things if you want those opportunities to come um, and not just box yourself into one thing yeah I mean I think ability to hustle and make your own opportunities is a great freelancing tip you can't just kind of sit there and expect things to come to you so yeah, I think I think that's really useful advice. And I think we're going to have to bring this episode to a close. So thank you so much for coming to speak to us, Lara, and congratulations again on your really well-deserved win. 
You're very welcome. I hope I didn't chew your ear off. I feel like once I get started <laughs> talking about journalism, I can literally not stop. I could probably give about three lectures in a row about it, <laughs> even though I'm still figuring it out and I feel a bit clueless at times. I find I still have loads that I could say about it because there you go. I don't know. No, it's great. It's great to see your enthusiasm coming through. And I'm and I'm sure our listeners will take loads away from what you've talked about today. So if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to hear some bonus episodes, you can subscribe to the premium version of our newsletter for just $3.33 a month. And for this, you also get resource lists and pitching examples. If you head over to Substack and search for freelancing for journalists, you'll find out more. And if you want to make more connections, I think Lara's done a good job of um, explaining why networking is so important come and join our freelancing for journalists facebook community of i think we've got almost seven thousand members in there now um you can also find our new and improved website um up and running at freelancingforjournalists.com where you'll find all our resources we're also on twitter at freelancing4 and you can follow us individually i'm at lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Journo. And big thanks as ever to our producer, Maddie Drury. And also thank you to all our Freelance Journalism Award sponsors, which were not only the Media Mentor, but also Women in Journalism, Lightbulb, 5WH, News Associates, Journalism.co.uk and the NUJ. So thanks very much for listening. And we'll be back again next week with another award winner. But goodbye yep. for now. Bye, everyone.